Welcome, everybody, to the Pass and Stow podcast, episode five. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, bit of a crazy time uh, that we're living in right now. Um, sorry for the inconsistencies with the, the podcast schedule. I know me and Mike have been trying our best to coordinate some stuff, and I know our last episode came out a week and a half ago, but uh, we're happy you're here nonetheless. If you forgot who we were, uh, my name is Jake and Mike. Again, Mike Mark Antonini. We're really uh, excited to bring you another episode of Past and Stow. Uh, but Mike, I mean, crazy things that we're going through right now with um, the coronavirus and things that are they're going on in the sports landscape. Uh, ev- every sport imaginable, from the NCAA basketball tournaments to the NBA and NHL seasons going on, getting close to the playoffs. Everything has postponed and or canceled. So. Uh, just wanted to get your quick thoughts on on kind of the things that are going on in baseball, um, just because I know baseball, uh, if you guys haven't heard, baseball has announced that they are delaying the opening day and they have postponed and canceled pretty much uh, the spring training games going on right now. Uh, they've even announced that the 2020 World Baseball Classic qualifier games in Tucson have been postponed indefinitely. Um, so spring training as we know it is pretty much over until we hear otherwise and um, really a lot of unknowns going on right now. So Mike, um, so I guess what's going on, dude, and, and what's going on in your land right now? Yeah, well, it's, it's good to get back on air. Um, def- definitely a, a great time to, to hop on a, the next episode of Pass and Stow with all this going on. Plenty to talk about and opinions to get out there. So it's it's just really crazy, everything that's gone on uh, the just really the past two or three days, not even since we first heard about the coronavirus and what was happening overseas, and then uh, some cases trickling over into the United States, but really just the past two or three days have been so hectic with one after another. It, it's, it was really as soon as one cancellation happened, uh, postponement cancellation, then every single league uh, started to say, all right, look, we're, we're, we're just in this for the best interest of everybody involved, the health of everybody involved, and we're going to take extra precaution and, and pretty much cancel or postpone everything. And it was like a domino effect one after the other. And it, it seems like it, 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 it all happened really after the other night from that jazz, uh, that jazz thunder game where somebody sprinted onto the court and said, Hey, look, look, this game can't play. can't, can't be played. And then we find out Rudy Gobert tests positive for the coronavirus. Then Donovan Mitchell uh, tests positive for it. And really everything spiraled from there. It was almost like, this this disease needed like a celebrity face and Tom Hanks out w- as well and put out a statement. So once it, it had celebrity faces to, to who had it, I think then everyone's like, all right, wow, this is more serious than than people expected. Did it have to come to that? You know, it's it's kind of tough that it had to come to that. But I mean, look, better better late than never trying to, to fix this and and get every, keep everybody safe and healthy. So, um, but yeah, what's I mean, crazy about that jazz crazy. thing that you mentioned with Rudy Gobert was I was watching clips and this actually happened while I was at work. Uh, my shift didn't end till 10 o'clock and that game was supposed to tip at eight 30. So I was, I was keeping an eye on it. And, uh, I, I noticed that people were starting to leave the arena and I was like, what's going on? This game hasn't started. And then, um, I watched clips later and saw that you, like you mentioned, the guy sprints on the court team doctor, and they actually were, there was a camera on Chris Paul and he starts talking. He's like, where's Rudy? What happened to Rudy? It turns out that he had tested, like you said, and they had rushed him back to the locker room. And, and the crazy thing is, I mean, he was joking a few days prior to that. 
because he had felt sick. He's like, I'm not scared. And he's not scared of the coronavirus. He started touching uh, the recorders and the microphones of those reporters. And, and, and like you said, Donovan Mitchell uh, tested positive for it. A number of teams have played the have played the uh, Jazz since then. I mean, the Pistons being one of them, and they were just in Philadelphia the other night. The Wells Fargo Center closed down a few days ago for uh, sanitation, and and they've met, and they've noticed and they've mentioned that uh, any events through March are canceled. So Dan and Shea, I know, was supposed to perform this weekend. They've been canceled uh, and postponed. So um, a lot of things going on right now. And and you mentioned Tom Hanks. It's, it's crazy how fast it's happened. I remember watching, it was the Creighton-St. John's game, the Big East uh, yeah. tournament had started yesterday. And it was the one of the last tournaments to cancel. And and a lot of people on social media were like, everyone everyone's canceling everything. And then the Big East, like there's a bunch of memes being like, we don't care about the kids. Like we're just going to let them play. And they canceled the game halfway through. And I don't think I've ever seen that where a game tips off and then at halftime they're like, nope, sorry, we're not doing it. Yeah, it's it's so weird, and I was I was watching Sports Center, um, you know, yesterday. Uh, it was around maybe eleven or, or eleven thirty, maybe around noonish, or around that time, and um, they did a live hit. Jay, Jay Billis was talking on Sports Center from wherever Florida State and whoever they were playing were playing in the ACC um, tournament, and basically the the conversation with whoever was hosting on Sports Center and Jay Billis was that the ACC had decided to just you know play the game with no fans, but continue the tournament. Um, but then literally, you know, 10, 15 minutes later, they went back to Jay Billis and, and everybody else that was in the arena and was like, yeah, we're not, we're not playing this. Uh, and it was so weird to just see the players on the court warming up and then everybody being told that there's going to be no game walking away. And then they brought Florida state back out to, to get the ACC championship trophy because they won the regular season title. So it was just so weird. And, um, just with one after another, it was breaking news every two minutes with another tournament getting canceled first it was a, a group of three tournaments had been canceled first then it was like the ACC then the Big Ten uh, the the Big 12 the Big East it was all you know one after another and it was so crazy just watching sports center seeing the just the breaking news flood in it was almost like watching a movie it's like when you you watch a movie that involves all this crazy stuff with with the universe and um you know, you know all these natural disasters there's movies out there like that and in the movies, they show like the the news anchors talking about everything that's going on. But this was real life. We're seeing that this happen right in front of our eyes. How everything getting canceled, um, just really the entire country put on pause just in a two day span. And you mentioned how quickly everything happened. All these leagues had conference calls set up for, I guess today or Saturday, and and we're looking to put plans in within the next coming days. But it got so serious that everyone's like, all right, we're moving everything up. We're getting on a conference call now. Uh, we're getting everybody involved and just kind of dead stop to everything which which is wild how it's happened um yeah and, and the and what was crazy you mentioned the florida state game that game was about to tip off and they and they stopped everything they can't they called off the tournament and it was probably one of the most awkward congratulation like i guess what i'm trying to say the 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 celebration like the trophy unveiling like that was the that was the most awkward award ceremony because the the guys were ready and the team they were about to play was they kind of just were all their chances were out. And then this at this point, the NCAA tournament hadn't been canceled yet. So we all just assumed that um, Florida State was going and, and same thing with with Creighton and all the other teams. And it was inevitable that the, the March Madness was going to get closed down. And, um, and it's everything. I, I don't even know like what to say, because this has been such a whirlwind. We've never seen anything like it. And and just to bring this back to to, to baseball. Um, 
Mike, I know you just actually sent me a tweet uh, from Jill yeah. Sherman um, that MLB players are being told to go home. Uh, this is the direct tweet. So those that want to stay have the have the use of the only workout facilities such as weight rooms, mounds, and indoor cages. Um, and it will be interesting to how many will choose to stay. Um, there are like it's it's no league is equipped to handle this situation. Right. Like, and the NBA has been one of the more progressive leagues. They were out in front of this. Well, you could mention, you could say that they were reactionary because they pretty much didn't do anything until Rudy Gobert had been tested positive. But at that point, you can't really choose to be reactionary or not. You just have to do something. Um, so they, they've they already mentioned that they're going to be on a hiatus for at least 30 days. The NHL is indefinitely. Baseball has a two-week timeline for at least two weeks. We have no clue when it's actually going to start. So um, when we going back to baseball, I mean – do we like what does this mean for the season? Like, do you think we're gonna have less games? Do you think the World Series is gonna get pushed back? Like, uh, I don't even like. What do you think is gonna happen? Yeah. Well, well. I mean, when I immediately saw that tweet, it was pretty much right when we started the podcast. I'm like, I got to send this over to Jake just so you know he sees it, you know, now too. And it, it's crazy because all these teams were in meetings today talking about what was the next step and MLB and and uh, the Major League Baseball Players Association. Um, Rob Manfred and Tony Clark were talking about what the next step was, and basically. It was like, you know what, spring training's on hold right now, but we want everybody to stay where they are. Uh, then it was, okay, you're going to stay where everyone's going to stay where they are, but no team workouts. It's only individual stuff, either in the in in the weight room or, or in the batting cages, throwing bullpens. And now it's now we hear that everyone's being told to go home. So that's pretty crazy. One, to, to just pause spring training, which was necessary. It needed to be done. But now the fact that they're sending guys home. So um, it, it, it's weird. It's weird because... Is spring training over? It, once the, once this season's ready to be played, are they going to have to send guys back to camps, or are they just going to maybe get a week or two at, at the team facility in their in their home city, uh, in the team's home city to, to train and kind of revamp before the season? Uh, it's it's really weird because when you pause spring training, of course it delays the regular season, and right now the regular season's delayed at least two weeks. But these guys can't just go from home being sent back home. And then right on a big league field or for the minor leaguers, a minor league field, they have to, they need some time to get ready again. So the whole thing is, is in a tough spot. Um, but I think going back to what you said about the NBA, uh, just to get a little sidetracked here, but with the, when, once the NBA decided to do something, I think that put every other league on notice because the national basketball association is uh, with, with the NFL, not in, in session right now, the NBA is everything for people. The, it's, it has global reach, like no other sport right now. Um, whether that's because of social media or because they market their players the right way. The NBA has got the reach right now. And once that happened, it was like all these other sports had to do something. But for baseball, it's going to be tough. I think they're going to have to basically look at the schedule right now, how everything's set. And whenever they're able to pick up and start the season, they're basically going to have to start from the games that were supposed to be played whenever they start. So example, if the Phillies are supposed to play the Braves on you know, April 17th uh, in Atlanta. And that's where they were supposed to be on April 17th, but that ends up becoming opening day. They almost have to just start there and forget about everything else that was scheduled from March 26th through whenever they start, um, either just canceling those games and playing a shortened season or trying to throw some of them on the back end. But they basically, they can't really backtrack and start from the beginning. They, they pretty much have to just pick up wherever the schedule is at that point and just call that the opening, the opening day or the opening series. 
Yeah, I mean, if this hiatus only lasts the two weeks that they've given, I think that the season will still be able to salvage 162 games just because the World Series will be able to end sometime around uh, mid to late October, which isn't that far uh, from the end of the World Series already. So um, they may be able to do that. Um, but I think your idea is more or less what's going to end up happening where they shorten the season. I think a lot of leagues are going to end up having to do that, um, especially the NA- M- NBA and NHL, considering how close they were to the regular season or to the, the playoffs, actually. Um, but the one thing that's actually been sticking out in my mind, and you mentioned this before uh, we even started talking, was um, players don't get paid in spring training. Um, and, and with that, the regular season on hold, it's really going to hurt the minor leaguers and those guys that are looking for um, – for spots. So I thought that was a really interesting point that you brought up. And and it's something that gets overlooked because everybody looks at some of these big baseball contracts, Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, uh, Christian Yelich, just signing an extension, really anybody making a couple million dollars a year. And you're like, all right, well, what does it matter if they don't get paid during spring training? They, they make millions every year. It doesn't matter what month it's coming in. Well, for minor leaguers who, and most of them don't have big signing bonuses from when they were drafted, or maybe they weren't even drafted. They signed as an undrafted free agent for the minor leaguers this is this is who it really affects because the major leaguers who've already accrued a, a ton of uh, money in their career and have more coming and uh, are, are financially stable enough to to just really you know if they didn't want to play they didn't have to they wouldn't have to play um but for these minor leaguers that are grinding for every dollar that they make and it's very rarely at some levels over a thousand dollars a month i mean keep that in mind oh, yeah. ba- barely over a thousand dollars a month for some of these guys I saw a tweet today from a minor leaguer who was actually in the Eastern League last year uh, where I was broadcasting, and he said, you know, minor leaguers haven't been paid since the end of August. The minor league season ended around Labor Day last year. So that's pretty much all of September, uh, then all of October, November, December, January, February, and then March with spring training where those guys aren't making a dime. And it's tough because, yeah, the minor league life is tough to begin with, but when you're not making a lot of money, um, you, you really rely on every penny that you're that's coming in. You rely on the um, I know minor leaguers get that get breakfast and lunch provided at spring training. You rely on that. You need that um, when, when they get uh, per DM. Tw- maybe it's 25 bucks a day on the road during the season. They that that feels like one hundred dollars to these guys because they just don't have a lot of money coming in from their profession. And it's tough. Um, they're playing the game they love and doing what they love for a living. But it comes at a price because you're. The opportunity cost of maybe having another job in in a different industry where you can make uh, a lot more money and have uh, insurance on your own and and benefits. Um, It's tough because you want to pursue your dreams, but it comes at the expense of not just the income is not good unless you make it big in the majors. Then you get through the arbitration process when you're making millions, not just a major league minimum. So for these guys that, well, one, there's spring trainings on hold and two, the regular seasons on hold. These guys are not going to make money unless these major league organizations decide that, hey, we're going to try to financially support them as if the season was going on when it was supposed to start. So it's, it's something that's big and it's something that is close to my heart because I've grinded from a broadcast perspective in, the, in, in prof- low level professional baseball the last couple of years. So I feel for these guys. I know what they're going through in a sense that I know what they make and sort of in that range, I can't specifically relate because I've never played professional baseball, but working in it um, at the minor league level, I definitely understand how much it means to get that paycheck um, every couple of weeks once the season starts. And right now uh, that's on hold unless some teams decide that, Hey, we're going to, we're going to support them even with um, you know, the season on hold. And a lot of these guys in spring training and even in the minor leagues are working off one-year deals too. So they don't yeah. even have the job security of some of these Bryce Harpers and Scott Kingery's, the guys who have this six, seven, 
13 year deals. I mean, they, they kind of are working off of every single playing opportunity, every game to kind of solidify them to maybe get another contract. So that's kind of big in the standpoint of reduced games, because some of these guys maybe lose opportunities because of the games being taken away from them, especially those in the minor leagues, because those seasons end a lot shorter or they end a lot earlier than the majors do. So you cut the minor league seasons in half or even to a third, you're already losing probably about uh, like 30 or 40 games there. So that's kind of big. And, um, but with spring training uh, and, and that kind of almost coming to a close, maybe, um, this means that it is over. I think it's probably a good time to look at some of the spring training guys, uh, some of the spring training, uh, stats from some of these guys and make it a little bit of a lighter note, Mike. I know we kind of started on a little somber because of kind of what's been going on, but I think it'd be a good idea to go through each of the Phillies players um, that had highlights and see maybe some lowlights during spring training and talk about them a little bit. And the first guy I want to mention is uh, Bryce Harper, the guy um, face of the franchise, the guy who has been um, looked to to kind of carry the weight on his shoulders. And he really delivered this this spring training. I mean, he, he hit 500 in spring training, three home runs, he had three doubles. Uh, he had 11 RBIs, which, uh, which I believe led the team. Yeah. It led the team by four. Um, his slugging was uh, at 1250. So it's absolutely insane. And obviously these stats kind of mean nothing because of spring training, but the fact of the matter is, is that he had a lot of pop this spring training and, and it seems he might, he might be a little bit more comfortable in the system and, and being with Girardi and, uh, and these guys. And he really looks like the leader in this clubhouse. I, I he, what really inspires me is the fact that he's able to put up these numbers and, um, and and that he's able to be that leader that we needed him to be last year. And and he seemed to be like that towards the end of the year. And, and I think these numbers are really indicative of the year he's going to have this season. Yeah, and I think a lot of people f- forget, I, I forget sometimes, that he's still only 27 years old, which which is crazy because yeah. you, you think of no- – Real normal, like a like a standard baseball career, like twenty seven to thirty three. Uh, at least a few years back, used to be kind of the prime years. Now it's like if you're coming up at twenty two, uh, through like twenty nine, that's when you know, these teams think they're going to get the best production out of you. But he's still twenty seven, and he's already played. Um, you know, almost a decade in the big leagues. Came up as a nineteen year old, and I, I think you you hit on a really good point that he's sort of becoming a team leader. And I'm not going to say he wasn't last year. He maybe he's one of those guys that just prefers to lead by example and isn't necessarily, you know, the biggest, you know, rah-rah guy with specifically to rile up his team. I know he's like that on the field for himself, but he leads by example for sure. And I think you're right that he's definitely more comfortable second year into a 13-year deal with this team. Last year, he came in late to spring training. So there was some catch-up to be done. And uh, of course, with Girardi and instead of Kapler this year, I think he's, I think you're right that he's more comfortable in in that situation with, with Girardi and, um, just, just some difference. There's, there's definitely some changes uh, around the organization. Even if you're just bringing in a new manager and the rest of the coaching staff, for the most part, is the same. There's a lot of changes when you switch managers, and I think Bryce is really comfortable. I think he just continues to show how much he wants to be here. Uh, dude loves Clearwater, loves Philly, loves the organization, and you know, just the, some of the comments he's made this year talking about. Um, you know, you know the future with him here and, and what the organization should do, talking about some of the young guys in camp and what they mean to the future, talking about guys that, that are here right now that could be here uh, over the next five, six years, hinting at JT Real Muto there with signing an extension. So it's really cool to see how invested he is in the Phillies. And and not only that, but he's putting up good spring numbers. And when, when a guy doesn't put up good spring numbers, it really doesn't mean a lot like like we both we've both talked about, but 
when a guy is putting up good spring numbers, I think that gets everybody that much more energized and excited for the season. So it's tough now that uh, seeing Bryce Harper back in Citizens Bank Park is going to be a little bit delayed, but it is really, really cool to see him going out there uh, and and just balling this spring. I mean, hitting the ball with authority, uh, you know, crushing the baseball to all fields and um, really just, just showing how, how, how much he loves this organization. Another guy he mentioned by name that you meant that you said like JT Romuto, he mentioned someone by name in regards to the future of the franchise. That was Alec Bohm. And he was another guy that put up really great numbers and really uh, excited a lot of fans. 409 average, 440 on base, um, and 849 on base uh, or OPS. So, um, and, and Bohm, I mean, he was, he was crushing the baseball. He was good on defense he didn't strike out very much in the amount of he only had two strikeouts and 22 plate appearances so that was great to see from him um i'm excited for the future especially with alec bowman whether there's room for him for on the phillies roster this season i I feel like there has to be they're gonna have to move kingery out in the outfield or do something with segura they have to make a decision there alec bohm needs to come up this season he the way that he he impressed me so much this this spring training even in the limited work that he had um, the fact that he every time I saw him in the batter's box, he looked very composed. His plate discipline, his plate discipline was great. Um, his ability to take pitches. He he didn't take any walks this year, but I feel like that's going to come later on this season. I think he's able to hit the baseball well. I think we need him up there right now. And I don't know. I think he was, looked really great this spring. What about you? Yeah, I think it's awesome to see him not only getting the reps in big league spring training games, but to be producing. And like you said, the, the comfort level with him is impressive. The fact that he's moved up so quickly through the organization, played at three different levels last year, hit at every single one of those. And then the power numbers uh, at, at every single level he was at last year stood out as well. And that's what you want out of a guy you draft number three overall, a college bat, uh, a guy with the frame that he has. Um, and it, it's, you know, if he can come up this year and produce at all, maybe it's not until August or September, maybe it's June, maybe it's even May, who knows? Um, now, a lot of that is, is up in the air based on when the season actually starts. But I, I think you're right that he needs to be up this year. You see a lot of organizations around the big leagues and maybe a guy's not 100% ready to play every day at a big league level, at the big league level. But these organizations are calling these guys up because you want to get the most out of these guys when they're as young as they are. And of course, he'll be cost con- controllable for, for a handful of years. Um, so I think you're, you're, you, hit, you hit it right that he needs to be up this year. It's not... It can't really be one of those things like Reese Hoskins. It took a while for the Phillies to finally bring him up. Like Scott Kingery got a ton of seasoning in the minors. Even go back to the the early mid-2000s, Ryan Howard was a guy that came up late in terms of a lot of top prospect rookies. So if Bone can come up and, and produce something mid-season, late season, uh, I think it'll be a huge jolt to that clubhouse and also the fan base to see not only – a top prospect come up, but somebody they drafted just in 2018 and he's already in the big leagues by 2020. It'll be special. And, um, you know, right now that the top of that 2018 draft is looking really, really solid. Casey Mize went number one to the Tigers. Joey Bart, the, the, the power hitting catcher went to, to the giants. And then you got Bohm at three, Nick Madrigal, who went four to the white Sox, reached triple a last year in just his first full minor league season. So the top of that, that 2018 draft class is looking really special and Bohm's going to be a big part of it. Yeah, and to just to mention a name for somebody, if if those who are worried about Bohm coming up a little too early, the last guy who was kind of on the same track as Bohm is right now was Aaron Nola, and look how he's turned out in terms of 
the the progression, how long he was in the minors, when they drafted him. He was a college guy from LSU that um, who didn't who had a lot of experience in college, and he only had about a year or so in the, in the minors, and he was up right away, and and he was one of the best pitchers on the rotate like in the in the rotation there when he first came up. So I think Bohm has a real good potential to make a quite a bit of impact this season. Uh, another guy that could make a big impact that if he stays healthy, Roman Quinn, um, it looks like he might've stolen the center field spot from Adam Hazley this spring training. We're not sure yet, obviously. And, and with this coronavirus, we have no clue when the season's going to start and, and, and when we're actually going to hear about opening day rosters and things like that. But, um, but so far, I mean, the stats, he, he, did very well, especially on the base paths. He had three stolen bases in only 10 games. He struck out five times, so uh, he still has to work on uh, his his plate discipline, but um, he was still able to get on base about about four out of 10 times every time. Uh, he had two home runs, which we don't usually see that out of Roman Quinn. Uh, he kind of reminds me of Ben Revere in that kind of aspect where he doesn't have that same power potential as some other outfielders do, but he was able to get on base. He was able to steal bases, and I think... Um, if he can stay healthy, he's a he's a difference maker for the Phillies this season. A difference maker is a great term because as a switch hitter who is as fast as he is and can patrol center field the way he does, he he's absolutely a difference maker. Uh, but the fact is, he just hasn't stayed healthy. Um, he's he's at this point in his career, he's twenty six years old, so maybe a make or break season in terms of health and also production. But just looking at the spring stats again, a small sample size and. It's spring training, so t- take it with you know whatever uh, kind of emphasis you want to put on that. But spring training numbers, it's good to see a 261 batting average, a 393 on base with a couple walks in there. If he could be a 260 hitter at the big league level and, and draw some walks, um, he- he's going to be such a huge piece because this this guy could be a perennial base stealer. He-, he could be what I think a lot of people, at least in the Reds organization a few years back, wanted Billy Hamilton to be. It just got to a point where Billy Hamilton – uh, he, he just couldn't get on base. You can't steal first base. Um, and, and that was Hamilton's problem. And now he's basically just a, a late game defensive uh, specialist, pinch runner. Uh, you throw him in there to start maybe a, a couple times a week and he's bounced around. But Roman Quinn, if he can stay healthy and he can hit 250, 260 at the big league level, he, he's going to be what I think a lot of people wanted Billy Hamilton to be because of the skill set, because he can hit from both sides of the plate. And I think for a lot of the last few years, this is a guy the Phillies really wanted to develop and wanted to be that guy who could play center field every day at the big league level. Uh, it's just injuries have, have really hurt him and have hurt his potential. Um, but it's it's cool to see him producing in spring training, especially when a lot of people thought center field was just Adam Hazley's job uh, just because he was up last year a little bit um, and, and showed some promise at times. Uh, but Roman Quinn, yeah, eighth overall uh, a couple of years ago. So it was cool to see. Uh, Hazley get up to the big leagues last year, but he's still got plenty of options remaining. While, while Quinn doesn't, they, they basically have to keep him on the big league roster if they want to keep him in the organization, you'd think. Um, so if he can stay healthy, man, he could be he could really be a difference maker, even if he doesn't play every day. He can come off the bench and run late in game, swipe second, um, score from second on a single late in the game that could be tying run, go-ahead run late in games. Um, so he can really be a difference maker. I love the Billy Hamilton comparison especially on terms of just stolen bases and it's funny you mentioned billy hamilton because my mind immediately goes to fantasy baseball and the rotisserie how you have to get the stolen bases if you had billy hamilton you were leading that category no matter what he averaged at least 50 stolen bases a season a few years ago and that 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 guy's fun to watch on the base paths and hopefully roman quinn can do the same thing and um we're gonna see a lot of him this year just because like you mentioned he doesn't have i don't think he has any minor league options left so um we are going to see a lot of Roman Quinn, and he most likely will be starting for the Phils. 
some guy who we we won't see starting, but maybe we might see him up this season instead of uh, Andrew Knapp, Christian Bethencourt, uh, one of the the backup catchers that's was on the spring training roster and uh, was looking to try and get that second catcher spot with Andrew Knapp being on the shelf at the beginning of spring training uh, with an injury and and. A stat that I saw on Twitter that was really interesting to me was Andrew Knapp. He only hit two home runs across 74 games in 2019. Uh, Christian had has three home runs in spring training in only 10 games. So that's a very interesting stat to me because it depends on how the Phillies kind of want to go about their second catcher, uh, whether they want to go on the more defensive side with Knapp or if they want to go on more of an offensive side with Bethancourt. Um for me, I would rather have Bethencourt there um, because he does give you a better um, potential for uh, for some hits, and that's something that Nap. Every time you saw Nap in the lineup when when JT was getting a night off, you kind of knew that he was going to be not really contributing on the offensive side. So I think Bethencourt will give you that. But Nap has been the seasoned vet on the Phillies for a number of years, and we know how the Phillies kind of operate with a second catcher. They usually keep the same guy on for a number of years. So um, if you had a choice between Nap or Bethencourt, which one would you go with? Um, I, you know what? I, I, I'd probably go Bethencourt just because of the pop that he's shown in his bat. Uh, now this is a guy who's played at the big league level before was once a top prospect. Um, and, and, you know, he, he's a guy that a couple different organizations thought that, you know, if they could just get him to, to produce a little more regularly, that he could stick at the big league level, the Padres and the Braves both had him at times. Uh, but it just hasn't been there. Um, but not to pile on Nat because I know a lot of people do, and they did last year. Everybody was so worried about, uh, the backup catcher role last year when the Phillies had so many bigger problems to handle. Uh, Knapp was not the biggest worry, nor should he have been. Uh, but but really, he doesn't. He just doesn't offer the team that much. He's cheap, and he's a switch hitter. But like you were saying, doesn't offer a ton on the offensive side, even in a backup catcher role. And then defensively, he, he it's not like he shines defensively where you keep him on a roster just for the defense. So he doesn't do a ton where you're like, all right, you need this guy as the backup to JT, even if he's not going to play a lot. So why not give Bethencourt a, a court a shot? Um, but I mean, either way, like I said, it's probably not the biggest concern for the Phillies, given the pitching issues and the injury issues um, that we'll get to. But I mean, why not? There's a couple things you want out of your backup catcher. Can he, can he handle the pitching staff? And that's one thing the Phillies have been lucky over the last couple decades with their backup catchers being able to handle pitching staff. Chris Coase, Brian Schneider, a couple guys that come to mind. Um, but also, are, are you going to be able to get something out of that bat when he does play? Maybe it's a guy who it, it hits for a good average. Maybe it's a guy who can, can give you some pop when he's in there. But Bethancourt, if he can provide that pop and, and maybe run into one every once in a while for a long ball, um, then I think there's value in that. I think it, I think there's more value than it would be in having Nap up there. So I'm looking to see him there. And you mentioned the pitching. Uh, first guy I want to mention in terms of that aspect, not Aaron Ola because we know how good he's going to be, but Zach Wheeler, the second guy in the rotation. Um, the most impressive stat I saw uh, coming out of spring training was he had nine strikeouts and eight and a third innings. So he looked impressive. I saw a couple of, of images of his – well, not images, but that's a weird way to say that. I saw some videos of his, of his off-speed stuff. Um, and some of the pitches he was throwing, and he looked really good um, with his command. And and I think he's going to be a very healthy, nice addition to this rotation, especially now that we're seeing Arietta's having some sh so shoulder soreness, if I can actually speak, his shoulder soreness. So um, Wheeler's going to be very essential, and I think he looked pretty good this spring. And there's not really much to report on the Wheeler side. I think we kind of knew already that, I mean, you give that guy that contract, he's going to have to produce. Right, and I, I think um, what, what you're talking about, seeing some stuff on Twitter over the last couple of days, the one thing that, that jumped out at me is uh, Major League Baseball tweeted, uh, 
a quick video of one one of these this, these two seamers that he threw that just ate up a right-handed hitter. I forget who was at the dish, but this two seamer started on maybe the middle of the plate and was you know inside the hands by the time uh, uh, Wheeler got the swing and miss on it. It was nasty, and it's nice to see that because uh, one we know Zach Wheeler throws hard. He can he can toss in the upper nineties. Uh, we know his curveball's nasty. A pitch he started throwing quite a bit more last year because the Mets suggested it, and uh, it was a pitch they thought he could get some outs on, and he did. Uh, but the fact that he can have a two-seamer like that that can kind of run away from lefties and just kind of leave them flailing or righties jam them or or have them, you know, really no shot depending on how far it rides in. So it's nice to see him really working on his pitches, fine-tuning that, because this is a guy that they want healthy first and foremost because of his injury history. And with the big deal, they don't want to rush him into you know, something where he's going to get hurt or, or just go out there and, and have some tough outings. So they could go slow with him, and uh, that's a guy that maybe, maybe you don't pitch him every fifth day throughout the entire season because of the injury history. Maybe you skip a start here and there. Maybe you, you throw somebody else in and, and go a six man rotation just to give him some uh, some extra rest, something like that, because they want him ready and peaking at the right time in in August, September, and then hopefully October, as opposed to really giving all in May and June. So uh, good to see what what Zach Wheeler. Uh, it has been able to do in, in limited time this spring. And you mentioned the strikeouts averaging at, at least one or more strikeouts per inning per nine. That that's good to see. And while Zach Wheeler wasn't really a question for this spring training, uh, one of the things we were questioning was the fifth rotation spot. And, and we had three guys. Oh, actually really only two that were up for consideration at the, the beginning of spring training with it being Cole Irvin. Oh, I guess three Cole Irvin, Vince Velasquez and Nick Pavetta. And then uh, another guy came in, uh, swooped in and almost, in my opinion, stole the fifth rotation spot. And that's Ranger Suarez eight innings pitched. He only allowed two earned runs the entire time, eight strikeouts, only one walk. He showed a lot of command. Um, really liked what I saw out of Ranger Suarez. I'm really excited to see a new face in the rotation. If they end up if they do go that direction, um, he is still a young arm, but I think that he could be a very necessary arm that um, because I don't think Pavetta, I mean, we we saw this spring. I mean, Pavetta's, Pavetta's stats weren't very impressive. Vince Velasquez um, didn't look that great either. So I think Ranger's the answer there, and um, he should be the leader for that fifth spot in my, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I know we, we were talking after the last podcast back and forth a little bit about that, that whole fifth starter situation and, and the guys involved and, um, maybe it's because he didn't have a ton of pressure on him going in because he was he was more of an, an outside shot for the for the last rotation spot. But the the numbers are impressive. I look at the eight strikeouts to one walk. That's an excellent ratio right there. Um, to be able to keep guys off the base pass that way, not issuing free passes is huge. Uh, that's one of the things that I really look for. Can you keep the walks down? You don't need to be a strikeout pitcher per se, but can you limit the free passes that you're giving guys and just putting free base runners on? So. Um, but this is, I think this podcast is officially a Ranger Suarez hype uh, show. Uh, and our Twitter account is officially Ranger Suarez hype train. Uh, 100%. Because, because it is, it's cool to see this. And I think it's, um, it's cool that it it's, there's a different name mixed in just bottom line is it's not just Pavetta and Velasquez, uh, because the, the Phillies one, you got to look at, yeah, who's going to produce for you this year, but also over the next few years, Velasquez and, and Pavetta have had their chances over the last few seasons. And, there's been some really, there's been some really good bright spots, especially with Velasquez at times. But uh, I think both have underwhelmed more so than than produced in a way that fans and, and the organization wanted to see. So the fact that there's another name in there, and he's a lefty, the Phillies haven't had a ton of left-handed pitching success since the Cole Hamels Cliff Lee days a few years back. So um, I'm I'm all over Ranger Suarez, and uh, whether whether it's the 
the passing Stopod and nobody else hyping him up, uh, we're, I think we're fine with that because Ranger Suarez, the fact that he went out there and produced this spring, um, you know, he, he's got to be in consideration for at least a handful of starts throughout the season. Yeah, Walker, Texas Ranger. He was arguably, actually, probably not arguably, um, he was the best starter for the spring for the spring training squad. If you look at the all of the starters that had at least two or three starts, he had the the lowest whip. He had or he had the third lowest whip behind uh, Jake Arrieta and Zach Wheeler, and he had the best ERA. So um, he showed you. You might be right with the with the little pressure that he had. He might have been able to be more comfortable, and um, hopefully, he doesn't lose that comfort level when he goes to the big leagues and actually is that fifth starter but um one guy we're not expecting to see up for a little bit but uh he did impress was uh, mauricio yovera um six innings pitched six strikeouts he's the 15th prospect on the phillies list for this year um reporters down in clearwater on social media were saying that he has good speed on his fastball he actually peaked at 97 joe girardi said He's a starter in the minor leagues so maybe that's a potential for later on down the road if someone were to get injured uh potentially if they don't want to go the route of a Pavetta or Velasquez, or you can bring him out of the bullpen. If he needs some extra, some extra cushion with names like Sir Anthony Dominguez uh, being out with a setback that we'll get on later. Um, but he gives you a lot of options. And I think it was good to see someone like Yovera get that confidence in the spring training. So um, what are your thoughts on Yovera? He's a guy I saw a couple times in person last year while I was broadcasting in the Eastern League with the Altoona Curve, and he was with with Redding. Uh, saw him pitch a couple times, didn't see enough of him to really, you know, formulate an opinion on what I saw or, or give really a, a a scouting report on what I saw. But uh, I know he he's a young guy uh, with a live arm. He's only 5'11", 200, but he's pushing ninety seven. I got to believe over the next couple of years he he could increase that a couple miles an hour based on the, the work he does and just growing as a pitcher. Uh, but it's it's nice to see you know like like we said with Ranger Suarez this is another name that 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 could have impact this year whether it's in a starting role if they need him or in the bullpen and that that could be a good way to once he gets to the big league level you know throw him into the bullpen uh, and let him you know throw just an inning or two at a time and not have to worry about starting but for for Yovera this is a guy that uh, I want to add that he was on my Eastern League all-name team last year. Every year of broadcasting since I've started broadcasting since college, I've done an all-name team for the league that that I've that I've broadcasted in. And he was uh, in the starting rotation, one of the best names in the Eastern League last year. And uh, as, as he continues to grow as a pitcher, he's going to be one of the best names in any league he's in. That's a sweet name. Is it Mauricio or Mauricio? I don't even know uh, how to how pronounce that. I, I, know I think Yovera, it's Mauricio. Yeah. Okay. Yovera is, uh, I, I just like the way that flows, Yovera. Yeah, he's from El Tigre, Venezuela, to make it even better for you. So, um, he, yeah, he's from. Uh, yeah. That's a that's a pretty sweet. Let let the record show he was on uh, my 2019 Eastern League All Name team. And look, I mean, if if he wants to put that on his resume or what, if he wants to, um, you know, have that in his scouting report, either way. But uh, it's probably one of the, one of the best, one of the best names. Put on his resume. Yeah, yeah, probably one of the best things he could put on there, <laughs> as he um, should. Some of the other names that you actually put on here uh, on our rundown for the day. Um, let's go in some quick order here because we got JT Romuto. So give me some of your thoughts on his spring training. Yeah, I think just, you know, like like Bryce Harper, a, a veteran who, who's in his second year with this team, uh, a guy who's got an, an excellent future ahead of him in terms of what he offers, not only offensively with the bat, but defensively as well and, and, and how he can handle a pitching staff. But with everything going on with the, the arbitration situation and, and rumors about a long-term deal, I'm sure talks behind the scenes about a long-term deal, but he, he's still going out there and balling, putting up good numbers this spring. Uh, him, him and Bryce, both both uh, the, the game where Bryce hit two dingers a, a little while back, JT led off that game with a home run. I think he went three for three out of the leadoff spot. And I know in the last episode, 
we were talking about leadoff options for the Phillies. I threw out JT Real Muto as an option, a guy I wanted to see atop the lineup. And then like the next day, he's in the lineup. Uh, and everyone's like, all right, th- this this could be the opening day lineup. This could be uh, the lineup they go with until McCutcheon goes back. So uh, it was, I-, I was happy with that prediction, and uh, I didn't realize how quick it might actually happen. But um, it was, it's cool to see JT producing really wherever he's thrown in the lineup and with the whole contract situation, uh, I'm sure, still going on behind the scenes that he's still able to focus and, uh, and put up some good numbers in the spring. Yeah, it was literally a few days after our podcast, they started talking really about JT being the leadoff guy. So you can take your victory lap. You can take yeah. as long as you want to to tell people that you were right about the JT being a leadoff guy. Uh, well, throughout the season, we'll be re- quote tweeting it multiple times, maybe uh, every two weeks or so, just to remind people, you know, just, just to let them know. Sounds good. Next guy <laughs> on your list here, Logan Forsyth. Logan Forsyth, man. Uh, the Phillies are really fortifying their bench for this upcoming season because I got to imagine Logan Forsyth is a lock for this team just because of not only his big league experience, he's 33 years old, but nine years of big league experience, both in the National and American Leagues. Uh, but the guy can hit. He, he can flat out rake. At one point, he was hitting like 563 this spring with a couple tanks, um, finished about around, around the 340 range uh, this spring in terms of batting average, but showing some pop, driving in runs, He's exactly the type of guy that the Phillies need on this bench. And uh, one thing the Phillies don't have to worry a ton about with their bench is finding somebody on that bench that can play shortstop because three of their starters can play shortstop. If Didi can't play short one day or they want to give him some rest, Segura or Kingery, one of those two is going to play short. So you essentially got three shortstops already on your roster. So you can go with guys on your bench that don't necessarily have the ability at this point in their careers to play short, Forsyth, more of a first, second, third guy. Can he play outfield at this point? I don't know, but you can carry him simply for the bat, not have to worry about what he really offers you defensively. Um, So it's good to see him coming into Philly's camp, getting another shot with an organization and and producing. I'd I'd love to see what he can do in in that um, utility infielder role with the Phils this year. Second, on the team in total bases, uh, tied for second on the team for bait for uh for walks uh, for the spring training. So definitely a very nice addition to the bench this season. Uh, looks like he's a lock to make the roster at this point. Uh, another guy you have on here, Luke Williams, uh, another young guy. Yeah, Luke, only 23 years old. Uh, he was a third round pick in 2015 by the Phils. Utility guys kind of played all over the diamond this year, and that's what he did last year. Uh, I, I think he's an intriguing name because he's probably not going to impact the big league team this year. Saw him a little bit in double-A last year. He's playing some outfield. He gets some reps in the infield as well. But because of his versatility and the versatility that the Phillies are kind of continuing with him, saying that, look, this could be your role moving forward where you play in multiple positions, bring in multiple gloves to the ballpark. Um, I, I see some promise there. And third-round pick, but it, back in 2015, so I think the clock's ticking a little bit. But just to, to see a guy be able to play, multiple positions and he showed some promise offensively this year just the fact that it's an intriguing name moving forward where that could give the Phillies some options roster wise especially with the 26 man roster you can carry a guy uh, as that 26 man who could play multiple positions you know is is he gunning for a spot this year probably not he could be a triple a um but moving forward I, I think it's a, a name to just keep in mind because of what he was able to show uh in some time this spring and lastly, one of the more intriguing picks that you had here to talk about was uh, Addison Russ. Uh, one of the the he was a what a nineteenth round pick a couple years ago. Yeah, and, and a guy who not a ton of people know about him. Now I know a little bit more about him. One because uh, I, I know his agent, and two uh, I saw him pitch again in the Eastern League last year with Redding. Redding had some studs on that squad. Um, whether they're all guys that are going to impact the big league club down the road, who knows? But last year they impacted the Redding club 
uh, in a big way. Reading won the second half um, in, in the Eastern League in, in their division, which was the division I was in with the curve. So it, it's nice to see Russ not only from the numbers he put up last year as a closer with Reading and just dominating. He was an Eastern League All-Star. Uh, but to do it this spring, uh, I think scouts and, and media members and, and just fans are really starting to see that, hey, this guy could impact the Phillies bullpen this year. Um, you know, whether he probably probably starts at AAA uh, just because of, you know, the names that the Phillies have uh, as locks for the for the bullpen. But we, we've already seen how many injuries have impacted the team at this point before the season even started. No, no, no doubt that there could be more once the season actually starts. And Addison Russ, he's a name to, to keep in mind because – He's shown that he can close, and and he's also shown that that he, um, you know, it, it's it's not anything where look, nineteenth round pick in twenty seventeen, it's not somebody to forget about. So he he's kind of pitched past that and really pitched his way into, you know, maybe not he's a, maybe he's not a prospect per se, but he he's a name to keep in mind. And a lot of the goal for spring training, just to segue into this, um, a lot of the goal for a lot of these guys in spring training is like you mentioned probably about the first or second episode of our podcast was just get out of this healthy. Um, And with spring training looking like it's going to be over now, we can go through the injury report and kind of what happened throughout uh, spring training here. Two of these stories are not really anything to talk about, but the last one I do want to mention and kind of discuss a little bit. Uh, First one, Bryce Harper, he got hit in the foot earlier this week. Uh, He said he was fine afterwards, uh, so there's nothing to report there. Hopefully that doesn't and linger into the season. Jake Arietta left Thursday's game with a shoulder soreness. He also said he'll be okay. It was just a precaution that they took him out. So again, another thing to hear, uh, another good thing to hear. And then lastly, something that we've talked about numerous times on the podcast, Sir Anthony Dominguez and his elbow strain recovery from last season. Uh, it looked like he was on track to make the opening day roster and be there for the squad. Now it looks like that is in question after he suffered a setback this week. So um, to me, this is a big blow for the bullpen, especially some, but a, a bullpen that really lacked death at depth and really needed a guy like Dominguez, especially last year, they needed someone like him. And now with his status in doubt, you might have to really look at someone like you mentioned um, in, in someone like an Addison Russ, maybe to bring him up uh, just because you might not be with one of your more dominant relievers to start yeah, the season. I'll, I'll go as far to say is this is a devastating blow. I'm willing to, it's, it's, it's so early. It's not even mid-March yet, barely mid-March, but I, I'd be willing to say that this Sir Anthony Dominguez setback is devastating for the team because on paper, when you look at that bullpen with him in there versus with him not in there, it, it's so different. It really is because it, we talked about on the last pod and we both alluded to it, how I was saying that, you know, maybe he's not the closer, but he's a guy you can throw in the seventh or eighth inning to get a couple big outs in a high leverage situation, and then Naris finishes a game, or vice versa. Or Adam Morgan needs to get uh, a couple guys out, but then you still have Dominguez uh, back there to to help after. Uh, but but with this setback, it's tough because he's. I know I saw some some comments that he made. He's worried about his career because this is his livelihood, and the fact that he had problems last year and it's still not figured out. Um, it's tough, and. In, I think him being ready for opening day was always a little overly optimistic, but the fact that he could have been ready not too long, not too longer down the road, uh, wasn't so overly optimistic. It was just kind of, you know, n- nothing crazy, but, but now if I, I'd, I'd be worried of about him not even pitching at all this year, that's, that's how serious it could be just because of what he's dealt with and the fact that it's lingered. So, uh, it's, it's definitely devastating news for a bullpen that really, really needs, uh, not only a dominant pitcher, but just a name in there. From what he did in 2018, they need a dominant name to kind of be a face in that bullpen. A name and a face would definitely be very helpful, especially um, with a bullpen that lacks that kind of depth. And um, to me, if you 
for Sir Anthony Dominguez, I think it's best to really just not rush him back to this. He He's such a young arm, and he's going to be way more valuable later um, for the future of the Phillies. I don't think you should be rushing him back. It, take as much time as he needs to get back, and if if we lose games without him, then so be it. I don't want to compromise this guy's future, and I don't think he wants to do that either, and I don't think that's even an option. So um, as much as it sucks as a Phillies fan to see him not be ready, um, we I know that this – journey is much longer than 2020 so we really need to look kind of into the long term and and really hope that he can just get better because you don't really hear many people i mean pitchers are probably more prone to this but you don't don't really hear many people have career ending elbow strains yeah that's not something you hear of most most times it's tough um it it really is because i think when when we talked at the beginning of spring training and yeah i said you just want everybody to get out healthy and then kind of you know work from there you don't necessarily have to have a good spring. You don't even have to have a good spring at all. Uh, but just being healthy is, is, is that much more important than necessarily putting up the numbers, uh, in, in February and March. So, so this is tough. Um, but you know, I think the Phillies have some plans in place just because of the depth that they brought into camp. Now, are they all quality arms at this point in their careers? Maybe not, but I, I think they have some guys that can, can fill a void at least for the time being. Let's close out the show with something a little bit more fun. We'll, let's get some power rankings done. So this isn't like top five like we've mentioned in a p- previous episodes. We're actually just doing a power ranking. So um, I'm going to give you – we're going to have two subjects here. We're going to rank them in order of what we think is the best, and we'll give a little explanation. So we'll start from six and go all the way up to one. So the first thing we'll do a power ranking for is Phillies jerseys, which uh, mentions all the ones that the Phillies could be wearing either this year um, for spring training or – even in the regular season. So, Mike, you want to get started, or do you want me to start first? Yeah, I'll, I'll throw out my uh, my rankings for this first. And I, you know, you know me, Jake. I'm always down for some rankings, especially because <laughs> I, I was the I'm the creator of top five from from our college days. But uh, never but been done on any podcast or any show. Top five <laughs> has never been done. <laughs> right, because <laughs> the, the, right the rankings are the rankings are cool because you you have the same set of of things to pick from in this case it's jerseys and so it's cool to see who, who comes out with what ranking but uh starting with six uh this is an easy one for me i put the gray away jerseys um it's you know nobody's really that hype on gray jerseys when you're when you're buying a jersey or you want to you want to see a team wearing a jersey you don't want to see them wearing the road gray so um maybe the phillies over the next few years could do something to spice those up a little bit but they're number six for me um number five maybe this Maybe I'm hating a little bit with this, but I got the red, red and white pinstripes as five here. Ooh. Now, I know that's classic, and they wear that pretty much every single home game, uh, most home games, um, but I don't know. It's 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 like the Yankees' blue and white pinstripes are classic, and everybody loves those. The Phillies, I, I mean, they're, they're cool, but I don't know. They, they I, I kind of like when they wear, wear solid better. Uh, number four, the maroon retros, and these kind of jumped up on my list after seeing Andrew McCutcheon uh, with the do rag and the chain on in the dugout last year, it was after he got hurt, so it wasn't playing. But he was really rocking the maroon retros. So I was like, man, these are some sweet unis. Um, a little bit sweeter than I had previously had them in my mental rankings. Uh, number three, I go with the red or scarlet alternate jersey. Now this is mainly a, I guess, a spring training jersey. But there were a couple of years where the Phillies wore um, the red alternates. I really like the reds. I got a Harper jersey in the red. Um, I think it's it's nice because it's a bright color. And like I said, I like the solid color jerseys. It's a solid color. And um, look, the Phillies, it, they, they, the, the P is red. The, the main logo is red. Why not wear red jerseys? Number two, I got the Power Blue Retro. Uh, I think arguably maybe the, one of, maybe the best throwback in baseball. There are a lot of cool throwback jerseys out there that teams wear. 
but the powder blue is sweet, especially when you got the blue pants with it and they, they got the blue batting helmet with the red P. Uh, those are pretty sweet. Um, so you got to love the powder blues. And then number one, I'm a huge fan of the cream alternate with the with the blue and red trim. I have a, Hamel, a Cole Hamels jersey um, in, in, this, uh, in the cream alternate that I got years ago. One of the best gifts I've ever gotten. Cole Hamels, my favorite pitcher of all time. Not even just Philly pitcher of all time. Favorite pitcher of all time. Love Cole Hamels. And uh, that jersey will forever be good because he won a World Series with Philly through a no-hitter, and he meant so much to this organization for so long. Whether he comes back or not at some point, uh, love that jersey and the cream alternate. I think it's uh, – uh, I love seeing them wear that during uh, – I guess it's Sunday home games during the day. Um, so that, that those are my favorite jerseys. All right, nice. That was a nice ranking. All – Except for the complete disrespect of the red and white pinstripes, I was I was hating, man. I really I really was. Yeah, very disrespectful. So, uh, <laughs> you and I actually have one similarity in this list, and it's the gray aways. I think it's a, such a bland jersey, but I mean, you have to have something like that because you are the away team. I wish they were to switch to something else. Like I know the Astros. I think they wear their orange jerseys on the road. I can't remember if they wear their orange or if they just wear their white. Um, jerseys on the road. I I don't honestly remember, but I think they should honestly use the spring training jerseys, like the red, use that on the road versus the gray. I think that would look a lot better. Uh, Speaking of the red, I think the the red spring training is five for me. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the red on red, to be honest with you. I like a contrast in colors. I think keeping that same uh, color palette back to back is a little bit too much for me. It's too much red. So red's my favorite color, but that's that's a lot for me. Four is the maroon retros. I think the they only had it a few times this season, um, but the whenever they had it, it looked really nice, and I, I thought that was a nice change of pace. I would really not be opposed to the Phillies, much like a lot of other teams in every sport, whether it's the Sixers, the Brewers, other teams going back to their retro styles as their official logos and their and their uniforms. I think the Brewers knocked it out of the park with the way that they're doing their logos and their retros now. Actually, the retros are now their the regular jerseys. I think it'd be cool if the Phillies went back to their original, the, the, that maroon and that Phillies P I think that would be something cool to see. That's just my opinion. I think that would be a cool, uh, different twist on something. Uh, I actually don't think the creams are the best. I think they're third for me. Um, I think they're cool, but I, I'm still not a huge fan of the hats, the red and blue hats. I had one a few years ago and I just didn't like the way it looked on me this is just on me it looks great on the on the phillies players but uh i think there's i think the the powder blues are much better as an alternate and not not as much as the maroons this is where the red and white pinstripes deserve them mike it needs to be at two two or one um it it might be classic it might be uh something uh prestige like you mentioned with the yankees but it's it's a clean look it looks great on anybody i mean you can't really buy a red and white pinstripe put it on it looks bad i think it looks great um i think it looks good with the nike swoosh on it and all these jerseys are going to look good with the swoosh and and that segues me to number one i think the powder blue retro is the best phillies jersey and i mentioned this i think on the first or second episode but i cannot wait to see the nike versions of these powder blues because they have to get this right if they make the swoosh a maroon and they give that maroon trim like they do on the other jerseys it's going to be the the I think it's going to be the best selling jersey for the Phillies. I think it already is. I think the powder blue, besides the red and white pinstripes, might be the best selling jerseys. And now that I look at this list, I think I might have just listed the top six best selling jerseys for the Phillies, <laughs> um, because I think this is what the consensus might be in terms of just best selling. But I think the powder blues, you can't. I don't think you can go wrong with those. And Bryce looks so good in it. 
Yeah, I like your list. I really do. Um, yeah, I guess you you gave some more respect to the to the traditional red and white pinstripes, and uh, I guess I'm probably I'm, I might catch some uh, some heat for that on on Twitter or whatever. Maybe we'll get a nasty email, but. Um, I guess I'm more of like, like I said, I like the solid colors. I really like the red. You said red's your favorite color, but you're not, you're not feeling the, the red on red. I, I get wow. that. I, I do get that. Um, the blue retros are sweet. I uh, actually just scrolling through Twitter. Um, not, not only did, uh, the, the, the picture in a video of Andrew McCutcheon dancing in the dugout in the, in the red and maroon, um, throwbacks last year with the do rag on, uh, and the shades and the chain, uh, move them up in my, my, my rankings. They might even have to go up farther because I'm looking on Twitter. His profile picture is him photoshopped in next to, um, you know, the, 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 with the Philly skyline and, and William Penn on yeah, top William of the, Penn, yeah. William Penn on top of city hall. I didn't know that until now. He, that picture is great. I love that. That's what I'm saying. Like, look at those. I don't know that Jersey. I, I really like the throwback jerseys and I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be upset if the Phillies ended up going back to that retro color and the and the logos back as their um, official stuff. Um, but one more power ranking we'll do before the end of this episode and the wrap of this podcast here will be um, Galapagos Gang members, uh, the Phil the Philly Fanatics trusty sidekicks. And I'll actually start with this one. So there are four Galapagos Gang members that uh, we've kind of gone in, we've went into the lab, and we've. Uh, formulated our list. So number four to me is uh, Sid the Sea Lion. So I'm being a little specific because people might not know um, specifically who these characters are and what they are. So Sid the Sea Lion, uh, I put him at four just because, I mean, sea lions eat penguins and I'm not a huge fan of that. So <laughs> he's four for me. Calvin the Tortoise is number three. The dude is huge. His shell is huge. Um, he's very slow, which is like me. So I have to relate to that. So he's number three in my list. Bessie the Blue-Footed Booby. That's number two. Um, Blue-footed booby. I mean, I don't have to say anymore. That's I think funny. N- number two. And then number one, I mean, he's got to be the 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 best, or he or she. I'm not sure if it what it is. Um, Iggy, the land iguana. I say it because I don't know. Iggy could be a, a male or female, but Iggy literally eats everything in sight, including uh, cameramen. Uh, numerous times, uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia, when they're broadcasting games and the Galapagos gang is in town, uh, you'll see Iggy eating somebody, whether it's an umpire or a camera guy or something. And um, that really hits me. Uh, really in the heart because I love eating and that that's great to see another Philadelphian or I guess a Galapagosian eating like that. <laughs> so um, those are my four, Mike. I know this is a, a fun, dumb power rankings, but I want to hear your four for uh, for the last power yeah, rankings of the show. Th- this is good. Well, well, first of all, I did not know that sea lions eat penguins. That kind of hurts me a little bit because penguins are awesome, um, except the the ones in Pittsburgh, obviously. But uh, yeah, that, that hurts a little bit, but um so I might have to adjust my rankings, but I'll, I'll show you. I'll, I'll let you know what I had. So I had from four to one. Four, I had Bessie. Um, I know you had her a little higher, but uh, um, I have I have Bessie, the, the blue-footed booby, at four. Three, I have uh, Iggy the iguana. Now, uh, maybe I should have shown a little bit more love, um, but I do, I, do like, uh, I do like what Iggy has to offer, eating everything in sight. Uh, I'm with you on that. Uh, number two, I had Calvin the turtle. I like turtles. Turtles are cool, and... Um, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the explanation there. I like turtles. Turtles are cool. Um, <laughs> Sid, the sea lion, I actually have at number one. I did not know that he eats penguins though. Disclaimer there, but, uh, my, my favorite zoo animal or like water mammal, uh, is the otter. I love otters always have since I was really young going to the zoo, um, with my mom and my family love otters. So sea lions are, I guess, kind of close in, in a sense, but, um, uh, sea lions are cool too. I was like, uh, seeing videos of, of animals like that. So that's my list there. Um, 
and I'm, I'm definitely glad you, you brought, you put this in the rundown because these are, uh, these are characters that deserve to be ranked and deserve to be talked about. They do deserve it. Um, uh, but you, your lack of knowledge of a penguin predator, uh, you're officially canceled, my friend. Yeah. I, I'm telling you, like, like I said, I had to throw the disclaimer out there. I did not know before I made the list. Maybe I should have done more, more research, but, uh, just in terms of like, just looking at them without knowing any other information, uh, I got, I got the sea lion number one. Yeah. Well, um, well, I'm, I had some fun today with this podcast and I know this was a kind of a weird one just because of the the scope of kind of what we're dealing with with the coronavirus and and the MLB shutting down its doors for a few weeks here and a lot of uncertainties going on right now in America and around the world. But um, the one thing we know for certain here is uh, Mike actually has an announcement to make in terms of kind of what's going on in his life. Not too specific, but we just have something to bring up. So, Mike, if you'd like to, if you'd like to speak for a second, yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you giving me the floor here. And like you just mentioned, it was so much is up in the air, not only in, in professional sports and baseball, but just everybody in terms of this country, uh, in other countries, about what's going on with the virus. But um, some some good news that will lead to bittersweet news. Um, but basically, uh, I I will. I'm unable to continue moving forward with the Pass and Stow podcast. Now, this is really tough five episodes in because, Jake, uh, I've had a ton of fun doing this with you uh, just from the time that you reached out back in January to, to, to get this up and running. And I think we've, got, we've come a long way in just a, such a short amount of time. But I will not be able to continue with the Pass and Stow pod, at least for the time being, moving forward. Um, coronavirus update, of course, pending uh, because I, I got a new job out of town. Uh, it's in the baseball industry, in, in the media industry. Um, that's really all I can say at this time. But because of it, uh, I will not be able to continue with uh, Pass and Stowe for the 2020 season. And again, a lot is still up in the air um, in terms of just uh, when I'll be starting uh, with, with the whole coronavirus issue and, and uh, the, pretty much the entire country in an emergency state and, and almost like a lockdown um, it's tough. So, uh, but moving forward, uh, there's not going to be a ton of baseball to talk about, uh, at least right now or any sport. So, um, I, I will be done with the, with pass and stow moving forward, but it's been a ton of fun through five episodes. It's something that I hope to continue with Jake, uh, whenever I'm once again, able to, uh, whether that's the end of the 2020 season, which definitely hurts because I was so looking forward to, to talking Phillies all, all season and kind of doing it this way. Um, but at least for the time being, I won't be able to continue with Pass and Stowe. But like I said, it's good news that leads to bittersweet news that I'm done the pod. Yeah, and I'm really moral. I'm really excited for you and this opportunity that you're getting because I, I know where you're going, and I can't say just yet. And if you guys want to know where he is going, he at some point he will be able to announce it. You can he I'm sure he'll be announcing it on uh, his Twitter at Mike Dub Sports. So just keep track of him and 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 follow him throughout his journey with that. I'm really I'm really excited for you, Mike, with the the opportunity you've gotten, and um, definitely gonna miss you, especially because we have been having a ton of fun on this. But um, in terms of just this podcast for those listening, for the fans uh, listening right now, um, we will be in the process of looking into our options with this podcast and, and seeing if uh, the possibility of another host or things like that. But like Mike said, with, with this whole pandemic going on, we don't really have any baseball to really talk about. And, and, and we don't really want to keep dragging along these uh, power rankings and things like that. Although they are fun. Um, it kind of gets to be uh, very repetitive at some point. So um, we will be holding off on podcasts and really anything 
due to the uh, anything relating to pass and stow for a little while, at least until the baseball season resumes. But um, after the season's over, I'm sure Mike will definitely want to recap with the with the Phillies faithful, and we'll talk and we'll have him back on soon. And and he's still very much going to be a part of the pass and stow brand just for this season. Um, we won't be seeing much of Mike. And but anyway, Mike, I just wanted to to make sure you knew that I'm really happy for your opportunity, dude. And I can't wait to to hear more from what you guys are doing over there and uh, for that other team. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Um, and I know when we both started this, we were kind of like, you know, we'll see where this goes. We're kind of both in similar positions looking for for long term, um, you know, employment opportunities uh, aside from what we're currently doing. So, um, but no, it's been fun through five episodes. And I, I will say this, this ain't the last y'all hear, y'all hear from me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll, I'll be back to, to talk some fills at some point. Um, but like I said, through five episodes, it's been pretty fun. Absolutely. Well, I think that's the perfect way to cap off this episode of the podcast. So um, we will be announcing the next time we come back on the air here. So I will make sure uh, on our podcast, Twitter at Pass and Stow Pod, uh, you will be able to hear from us again. And we will be sending out updates as we as we get them. But um, for the last time in a little bit, uh, Mike, Mark Antonini and Jake Abrams, we're signing off here. So thank you so much again for listening. And we'll talk to you again uh, soon. And everyone stay safe out there. <laughs>